Yep. Welcome to Live from the Stoop Podcast with me, Robbie Digital. On this week's episode, I'm tapping in with the little homie LeVar, a.k.a. Dick by Air. Since I've known LeVar, he's always been quite the renaissance man. A DJ, host, producer, sometimes rapper, and now recently almost turning into a philanthropist. We're going to talk to him about how he got from the stoop all the way to where he is today. Sit back. Relax, live from the Stoop Podcast. Let's go. We're, we're going to have a good day today. It's feeling pretty good. Um, I'm in a good mood. I got a very, very special guest, a good friend of mine um, that I've really watched like grow into like this amazing person and entity in New York City. Um, he goes by a couple names, some to his face. <laughs> <laughs> um. But I'm here with my good man, LeVar, a.k.a. Dick by Air. LeVar, what's going on, man? What's going on, man? How you feeling? This is, this is a long time. Coming, man. right? This is Yo. a long time coming. Yo, you know, it's it's crazy because I had saw you post on Twitter. You were like, yo, like, niggas is going to want to interview me. And I'm not even going to be available. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I don't know if he's talking to me. But let me make sure. So I said, <laughs> nah, it, so wasn't, I said, it wasn't directed to you. So I said, um, let me send the filler out now. <laughs> well, let me get this interview now. Yeah, let me get it now. For like, Rob, fuck that. Like, all right. You nah, know you're what? definitely <laughs> one person. If you hit me up when it was when it was there, I was definitely sitting down with you. I would never say no. I, I but it's, it's just a lot of people on the scene. I said that because like. There's a lot of people on the scene that are real journalists, you know, like yeah. they write for these magazines and whatnot. And like, you know, like you don't really hit me up to come to my events a lot, you know, because mm. like you a working man, you know, like you have an actual life. You feel me? Yeah. So it's like a lot of these people in the industry, they write all these articles about people I'm around, you know, that don't yeah. really do shit. And then it's like I look at myself and then every time I go out and they see me, it's oh, this is a legend right here. You need to know who this is. And I'm just in my head like. Like, how could you say all of this about me? And you have the power. They're they always telling me, yeah, you know, like, I wish people knew more about you and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you have the power to do that, right? Right, right now. in your hand. Like, right now. You like, can I don't do care that. if it's, like, a paragraph. Like, I would appreciate it. <laughs> like, it's crazy. You said what you said just now. This um, The girl that wrote the Ebony piece on me, mm. that was her last piece for Ebony. She left Ebony Magazine, and um, now she's at Refinery29. But she hit me up because of the same thing. She was like, yo, like, I saw what you said. And I was like, yo, let me just interview him now. And then she felt like it was the perfect time to do it because of what I was promoting at the time. Yeah. So she was just like, yo, let me just get this interview now before he start dubbing everybody's shit. And I'm just like, I ain't going to dub everybody, but it's a few people I got. I got a list. A so Kill a few, Bill list. Like yes, a nice Kill Bill list. Definitely. There's a lot of people on that list. I ain't going to say no names now, but. The names are there. They did. It's a, it's a good 15 of them. That's a, that's a good number. That's a good number. Um, let, Let's go back. So I think I met you, this is 2021, I met you 2016? Like 20, I'll say 2015. 2015, But we, we started getting like, we actually started speaking in 2016. Yeah, so I was, I think I was working at Apple at the time. Yeah. And you were one of those kids that was just running in Soho at the time. I think like, in, in, in perception, they try to make perception reality, right? Because... I remember working at 
at Apple and they were like, yo, like these kids, they come in, they just sit on the computers and they charge their phones and they hang out in the theater room and we can't have them there. So like they can't be here longer than an hour. And I was like, uh, but they're not bothering anybody. They're just charging their phones. Literally. No, but you know, we, they're taking away from customers that could possibly be doing shit. And I was just like, nah, fuck that. Let them kids do whatever they're doing. At least they're here. And, and the important thing for me was because being black, and, and knowing, like, if these kids found a safe haven in this place, then that needs to be fostered and that needs to be curated. Okay. You can't you can't turn them away. There's a reason why, out of all the places, they come here. Mm-hmm. If this place is built off creativity and ingenuity and imagination, then we should keep these kids here. The because these kids, this, these kids will be the future. Like, you don't know what these kids are going to do. And I, and I think about that a lot because you, Lex, like, all of y'all I've seen, like, become this thing. Like, where, like, you, needless to say, y'all are the new gatekeepers. Like, you you guys are tapped in in a way that no one else is right now in New York City. And nobody would know it either. Yeah, they, that's the crazy looking thing. looking at us like, like, oh, they ain't really doing nothing. And it's like, all of the people that you want to get next to, we have direct access to. And it's not yeah. like we bragging. We don't need to brag or none of that. These people fuck with us because of who we are as a person. They don't fuck with us because we got bread, because we popular, or none of that. They no. fuck with us because of who we are 100%. Like, I noticed that, like, when we was going to Apple, like, that's the reason, another reason I've always fucked with Lex, because I remember when she first picked up a camera and was going outside and taking pictures, she wasn't asking nobody for no bread at the time, none of that. She was just like, yo, I'm going to do this. And then after a while, she was just like, yo, I got to get paid. You feel me? Like, and it's like, look at her now. She went from being that one photographer following people around. I remember the first artist she was shooting was Dave East. Yeah. And and she went from Dave East to Pop Smoke. Like... Like his, she was his official photographer day to day. Like, and I think that's the beauty of it, right? Like, you just don't know where someone's going to be to just judge them in that moment because you don't know what that light looks like. Exactly. You just see a small glimpse of it or a glare of it, but you don't know what it's really going to be. Um, let's 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 take it back though. Like before I knew you, so. Where are you from? Because I actually don't know where you're from. Dead ass? Dead ass. I don't know where you're from. So no this, idea. this might shock you. I'm going to ask you, where you think I'm from? I'm going to assume Brooklyn. I'm yeah, going to what, assume Brooklyn. What part of Brooklyn, though? I'm from the Bronx, so all Brooklyn is all Brooklyn to me. With bet. the exception of Williamsburg, because Williamsburg is Manhattan. Yeah, that's Manhattan. That's the new Manhattan now. <laughs> so, I'm yeah. from Brownsville. Really? I'm from Brownsville. So I was born on, a lot of people look at, the what we call the north side of Brownsville, they look mm. at that as like Bushwick or the New Bed style, whatever. Mm. But in my eyes, that shit is Ocean Hill, Brownsville. That's that's like where I was born and raised for 13 years, and then the next half of my teenage life, I grew up on the south side of Brownsville, which is what they call the dark side. I've heard and that. I grew up over there. I was there for about like probably like eight nine years. I wasn't there that long, and um, yeah, it was pretty rough. I ain't going front. Like what was it? What was a typical Saturday like growing up on the north side? On the north side, well, my Saturdays was different because um, I lived with my mom and my grandmother. Mm-hmm. But my mom's was never really in the crib. She was always like running around with different niggas and shit like that. So like my grandmother, she was a she was a librarian for thirty two years. Really, she worked at um every single branch in Brooklyn, 
But um, the last brand she worked at was in Cadman Plaza, mm-hmm. downtown Brooklyn. So every Saturday, she would have like a doctor's appointment with like an eye doctor or like she would, because she was on dialysis. So she was always going to the doctors weekly and stuff. So I would go with her. My typical Saturday would be go to the hospital with her for like 30 minutes, leave the hospital, go to Pizza Hut, leave Pizza Hut, go to the library, pick up a book or two that I wanted from the library. I went straight to the movies. That was my, every Saturday, that was me on the north side. That's crazy. And I had, I'm assuming that, like, that kind of routine had to be different than, like, a lot of your friends around you. Then. Definitely. Like, I wasn't really going outside. I didn't really care to go outside. Like, I didn't share the same interests as a lot of the other kids, like, in my neighborhood. Like, a lot of the kids in my neighborhood, like, they played ball. I didn't play ball. They was smoking weed. I didn't care to smoke weed. Like, they was wearing, like, the flyest clothes. I remember I used to go to school across the street from my crib. It was one day I went to school in my boxes. Like, that's how weird of a nigga I was when I was younger. And, like, like I just never shared the same interests as everyone else. And I kind of owe that to my grandmother a little bit. And I'm kind of happy that I had that experience. Because it's low-key the reason I am the way I am now. Like, I used to watch my grandmother come home off the accessory. Yo, LeVar, here's five dollars to go to the store. And then here come, like, ten, nine kids coming up. Yo, what's up, Miss Mabel? How you doing, Miss Rogers? Blah, blah, blah. And then she's just like, y'all want something from the store? She'll take the five from me, give me a 20, like, you'll get ices for everybody. And she did this every day, you know? And she only did it because she knew all their parents. So she knew the backstory of what they was going through when they wasn't outside. So when she did see them outside, she tried to give them, you know, a little bit of, like, love joy. or, like, some joy, like, make them feel good. Because, like, the Ville is a scary place. Even, even though the side where I first grew up on was a little nicer... When I was younger at the time, it was it was wicked, you know? Like, it was a lot of bloods on that side. And then the south side was a whole bunch of crips. And then you got the wools and the choles that was starting up and everything. So, like, it was rough. And, like, my grandmother was kind of, like, the safe haven on the block. Like, every my whole block respected my grandmother as if she owned it. You know, it was her and this other lady. They did the um, block association. We never really had block parties because it wasn't really safe to do it. Mm-hmm. But when we did, it was always fun. But, like, I didn't really have, like, the childhood that a normal kid, like, I don't even want to say, like, a normal kid had, but, like, the average kid would have, you know? Like, I was in the house a lot. I played video games a lot. I was watching MTV. I was listening to, like, punk rock music and shit like that. Like, like I never saw Belly. Like, I didn't see Belly until, um, what was it? I think it was Year Before Last. Wow. Like, right before quarantine, I watched Belly. I was with Haji and them, actually, at their <laughs> studio, and they threw Belly on, and I told them, I was like, yo, I've never seen this shit. And they was like, what? They like, nigga, you gotta watch this shit. And I watched it, and that shit blew my mind. Like, it was so much movies, like hood movies from back then that I never seen, bro. Like, I never watched up until now. But that that also plays into, like, your creativity, right? Like, being that most kids get their imagination from what they see, right? Mm -hmm. But you reading at such an early age, I'm assuming that really expanded your imagination way farther than what your peers probably did. Yeah, like, I was coming up with shit in my head, like, off top. Like, even, it was to the point where I started being, like, I used to, when I got to high school, I was, like, the funniest kid in my school, because it was just, like, my brain, I was, like, I was reading, like, chapter books when I was in kindergarten. Like, no, like, I'm not even lying. Like, I was reading, like, chapter books when I was in, the first book I ever read when I was in kindergarten was Monster by Walter D. Myers. That was the first book that I ever remember, that I remember, you know, it like probably was other yeah. books, but that's the one book that I always remember reading was Monster by Walter D. Myers. I read that book like five times, and the first time I read it was in kindergarten. And like, 
Like, when I started getting older, like, all my teachers used to say, like, yo, he's mad smart. Like, this kid is bright. Like, you know, like, he has, like, a, a bright future ahead of him and whatnot. But it was just, like, I had issues with, like, my moms and my pops that kind of, like, intertwine yeah. with all of that. But reading, if it wasn't for reading, I say all the time, if it wasn't for my grandmother and reading, I would not be the person that I am today. I would probably be, I ain't gonna lie, I'd probably be dead. Like, fucking with niggas on the street or some shit. I always find that that interesting that you know you have that authoritarian like that that authority in the family like that matriarch and each one of those people gives you a different set of tutelages like like you said like going to the library going to dialysis going to pizza and then going to the movies right so like with my grandmother I used to go to the bank I used to go to the pizza shop and then I would go do whatever mm-hmm. errand she had so I remember like I, I can smell coffee at like five or six years old because the bank had coffee and they gave out free coffee at the time because she was one of the older people who had an account at the bank. Mm-hmm. So like little things like that, like those those landmarks, like a, like a Chase Bank or like you said, I'm assuming now with Brooklyn changing, you remember so many things when you were a kid that's probably not even there anymore. 80% of it gone. Like it's nothing... Nothing looks the same. Like, I went to my... I took my shorty. We was driving, and we went to, like, my old neighborhood, and I was telling her, like, yo, this used to be this. This used to be that. This was the barbershop I went to. Nothing is the same. And there's white people in the neighborhood now. Yeah. There never used to be white people in the village. <laughs> like, I went to a party. It's crazy. I went to a party. It was, like, an afters. And, like, um, a bunch of people from the scene was there, and I walked in the crib. I'm like, y'all niggas know where y'all at right now? They, like... Yeah, we in Bushwick. I said, y'all are in Brownsville. What are you talking about? I said, Bushwick is on the other side of Broadway, bro. I'm like, y'all are in Ocean Hill, Brownsville right now. I'm like, these projects right here, Grove Street? They're like, yeah, mate, that's Ocean Hill Projects. And they like, what? I'm like, yes. I said, I grew up around the corner. The school that's across the street from this space is the school I went to. And it's people was looking at me, and they was like, what? And I'm like, telling them all of this shit. And they just like, yo, mind you, they not from here. So hearing all of this from me, they just like super excited. This shit is like blowing their mind. They like, whoa, like all your alarms are up because you're like, this is not safe. This is not safe. (laughs) Well, in my head, you know, like, but obviously like going back and forth to the neighborhood. Now I see that it's changed a lot. It has like crazy. How was how was school growing up? (sighs) (laughs) School, school, I ain't gonna lie. School was. I was in and out of school a lot. Like I had, um, I had a lot of anger issues when I was younger. Um, it kind of stemmed from like watching my mom's deal with like niggas, and then like her trying to keep me away from my pops and whatnot. Like I had like a lot of anger issues when I was in school, and it also stemmed with like kids picking on me. So it was yeah. like I had to deal with bullshit at home, and then I'm leaving home to go to school to try to be happy, and then like now I'm in school and motherfuckers is picking on me and shit. Like it's a somebody, different set of armor. Yeah, like somebody would throw a textbook at a teacher. The teacher turned around like, who did it? And then the whole class is like, LeVar did it. And I'm like, yo, like, I ain't even do nothing. Like, what you mean? Like, and then they on. call him my, now they call him my pops. Yeah. My pops is Jamaican. So you know that's... You, you know how Jamaicans give it up. Like, I remember... <laughs> I remember it was one day I'm black. Like, the teacher was like, oh, um... She she never used to call me my name. It was this um teacher from Singapore... She used to call me Leroy, not even Laval. She'd be like, Leroy is disrupting the class. I'm in the background one day. She called my pops. It was a, um, the message came up. She left a message or whatever. And I'm in the background like, fuck out of here. Suck my dick. I ain't do nothing. Like, I'm, I'm tight because it's like, yo, I really ain't do shit. 
Bro, I swear to God, like 20 minutes later, the, the bell rang. I opened the door to leave the classroom. All I felt was, <laughs> nigga, I turned around, my pops and my uncle right there in the hallway. The whole hallway froze up. And I'm just like, there is nothing more scarier than when a parent walks in a class hallway. And or, every, not, or better yet, not knowing that they even in the hallway. Yeah, and everyone else knows. But nobody don't know whose parent Who that parent is, it is until that nigga gets snatched up. You're like, mm-hmm. oh, that's your parents. And what made it worse was my principal was also Jamaican. So she was jacking everything. And, and you know, your father being a Jamaican. So that means he's coming, I'm pretty sure, as an immigrant. Yeah. So he's looking like, yo, you're here for a reason. I don't need you. Like you're wasting time. <laughs> you're wasting time. You never had this. You never had this. What y'all waste time for? And it's just like, bro, like. And not really being able to process what you were going through. Never wanted to. Like, I was, I ain't gonna lie, bro. I was pussy. Like, I was the, I was that kid. If I got into a fight, I never fought. I threw chairs. I could, I was very skinny, bro. Like. I was bonier from when you saw me at Apple. I was way bonier than that. So it was like fighting for your life every day. It was, it was literally a fight for my life every day. A kid pick on me, I'm like, fuck that. I can't beat, I know I can't beat you. So I'm about to take this desk that I got and, and, figure, and figure this shit out. You feel me? And then they put me on what they call peer mediation. Mm-hmm. So I guess they were saying that I didn't know how to... Um, Mediate or diffuse situations. Not even that. They basically told me that I didn't have the mental capacity to be in a room with other kids. So oh, man. and it was it was basically it's trying to make me out to be crazy. Yeah. Like point blank period. They tried to make me out to be crazy. I remember they handed me a paper, it was a box with nine dots in it, and then they said the paper said, connect these nine dots using four lines, but you can't lift the pencil off of the paper. And I'm just like, the fuck? Like, how am I supposed to do this? And then the hint was think outside the box. And <laughs> It took me three months to figure that shit out. And once I once I realized what it was, they told me they was like, yo, what's going on? Immediately the, the um the dean not the dean, what was it? The social worker that was doing the shit, she was like, yo, um, what's going on at home? Cause she just knew after that, like, like it shouldn't have took me that long to try to figure that shit out. So she just straight asked me, like, yo, what's going on at home? And I never when I was in junior high school, I never really wanted to talk about it. We all don't because like I was real young and like, I was seeing, like, a lot of traumatic shit. And then, like, mm-hmm. even, like, my grandmother, when my grandmother passed away, she passed away when I was in, what, seventh grade. And... So that, that, that's that only, like, light. That, that was, like, my only friend. Like, that was the only person that I could trust, you know? Like, so, like, when she passed away and I was going to school, I'm still dealing with it even more, you know? Like, yeah. niggas picking on me. I'm at home dealing with my moms, doing fuck shit. And like, she's, and at the same time, your mom is... And I think the, the thing, just to, to bring that balance, right? Like, moms, we, we view our parents in such a great deal of light, of, of, of expectation. A light of expectation where, why the fuck are you doing this? You're my mom. Why the fuck are you doing this? Literally. You're my dad. It's not until you become an adult where you view them as adults. And then you see a lot of decisions that they made and a lot of things that they do you see that they're victim of whatever trauma they're they're dealing with. I found that out later. Like, my mom, like, when I was, just to give, like, a a little brief background on me, like, my mom's, like, after my grandmother passed away, my mom's went, like, bugged out. Like, she was fucking with some Haitian nigga, 
And like two weeks into fucking with him, mind you, my mom's had a good like my family had like like we had money, you know, like we mm-hmm. lived in a, a nice house. It wasn't a brownstone, but it was a townhouse and like the whole building was family except for the Dominican people that lived in the apartment next to us and then this one dude that lived on the first floor on the right side, but the everybody else was family. And my mom's she worked at JP Morgan, not Chase, she worked at JP Morgan, Morgan. that building downtown Brooklyn, wow. next door to the mall. My mom's worked there for I think it was what, eight years she was working there. She she was making breach and she fell at her job and caught a lawsuit. Cause she got like a slip disc in her in her yeah. back or whatever, so she came up on some bread. I never knew how much money she came up off of. Mm-hmm. She won the settlement really fast. Like she probably like if to if she did the settlement today, she got the money like May of next year. Wow! Like she got that shit real quick. And like I was watching her. Like I remember the day she got paid. She took us. She bought us an Xbox, PlayStation. She bought two TVs. Bought us mad clothes. She bought, like, she was buying shit for the nigga she was fucking with. And then she was like, yo, let's go to Florida. Like, I want to go to Florida. Y'all want to go to Universal Studios? I'm like, hell yeah. I'm like. I'm not saying I'm, no I'm to I'm not going to say no to that. Like, I never. The last time I went to Disney World, I was like an infant. I don't even <laughs> yeah. remember that shit. Yeah. So she ends up paying for the dude to come with us as well. And, like, while we on the trip, it was just like, we never got to do anything. Like, her and the dude was just arguing, fighting. He broke a door. We ended up having to, like, switch rooms that we was in. I got bit by an ant. I almost died. Found out I'm allergic to ants. My little brother, we went to Universal Studios, and my mom's and the nigga is arguing. My little brother left us. Mind you, he's, like, nine years old at the time. He left us, got on the shuttle, went back to his room. Like, it was just a lot of shit. And then, like, I remember my life was never the same when we came back from that. Because, like, once we got back, my mom's was just in, like, a weird mind state. Like, she she was trying to say, like, the nigga was doing voodoo on her. She was, you like... You think she was trying to cope? I don't know. Like, what, what I, and what I mean cope is, like, hey, you, like, you mentioned, like, when you lost your grandmother, how you lost your only friend. Mm-hmm. And then I'm assuming, like, for her losing her mom and her mom having, like, a grasp on you guys... And not necessarily taking the whole responsibility, mm-hmm. but giving her a place to figure out her shit and knowing that her kids were good. Yeah. Opposed to now, you don't have that. Now your kids are your kids 24 hours. How many of them were y'all? It was just me and my little brother. Just both of us. And it was weird at the time, too, because my little brother, um, he is queer. He's gay. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of people used to pick on him when he was younger because he was yeah. a little feminine when he was younger. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we was young. We didn't really know, we what, gay, we didn't know what gay was. Yeah. You feel me? Like, he was just... It was just different. It was just, oh, you acting like a girl. You yeah. know? So... I remember that was... Because that was, my brother's gay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, no one teaches you emotional empathy as a kid. Never. So like it was I, always tough love. It was always tough love. So I like I remember like with my brother, we were playing Mortal Kombat, mm-hmm. and he picked Katana. I splashed the fuck out. I was like, "What the fuck are you doing? Like that's, that's not how you play. <laughs> like you supposed to pick a guy. <laughs> you supposed to pick a guy. What the fuck are you doing? Like like I literally was mad. My mom was like, "What is your problem? I'm like yo, he's not playing right. Like he's not playing the game right. He's, <laughs> he's playing the, with a girl. Yeah. He, what the fuck is he? This is all wrong. So like, and she couldn't tell me. Like, cause she didn't know and she didn't mm-hmm. want to assume. Right. So like she's letting him find his sexuality on his own. But when you're the older brother, you just want 
a friend. Like you just want someone to do stuff with exactly. that you don't have to do it with your friends. So that's even harder to process when your brother's trying to find out his sexuality and what he's going through. And then he watching everything going on in the crib and then yeah. he's fucking him up even more because he already having a identity crisis with himself at a very young age. Yeah. Because, you know, like, when you when you figure it out, that's one thing I learned, like, you know, like, that's why when people try to say, like, oh, Lavar's a homophobic. Like, the other day somebody was like, oh, Lavar's a homophobic. I'm like, far from that. I'm like, if anything, I'm the one person that understands that shit to a T because yeah. I watched it through my little brother. Yeah. And it was like, I watched him try to figure this shit out, like, leaving the crib, back and forth, back and forth, going to hang out with girls. And it wasn't because, you know, like, he was hanging out with girls because he liked them at anything. He was hanging out with girls because that's who he felt comfortable around. Yeah. He didn't feel comfortable around dudes anymore because it's like, he couldn't be himself, you know? Yeah. He didn't know he was being gay. He didn't know that he was going to end up liking guys when he got older. All he knew was... What he wanted to be at that time, and, and a lot of the dudes he wanted to be. on the block wasn't jacking it. So yeah. my little brother used to leave and go hang out with like these girls a couple blocks away, all the time. And like people would just be on my back. Like I had like cousins and shit as well that used to just be on some like oh like like DeAndre's this like is he gay? Like I don't know. He acts like a girl, and I'm just like, why does it matter? Like because yeah. I'm I'm not fully understanding it either. And I'm just in my head like, why do y'all care so much? Like he's just being himself. I'm like, that's him. You know, yeah, and because as a kid, as as kids, which is you know, that's him. I don't I don't know what it is. I don't know I don't, what it is. Like like we would, I would go play football and shit, and like I would try to get my brother to participate, but he would like want to go play with the girls and do girl shit. And yeah, I was shit. A, as a kid, kids would just be kids. So if you're gonna go hang out with the girls, my nigga, go hang out with the girls. I'm gonna go do this. But it, I didn't realize how much. I could have been more empathetic until I got older. Until I got, yep, same here. Where I was like, damn, like, I didn't give you grace. I could have gave you a lot more. I could have gave you a lot more if I would have known, but no one knew. You see what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. in the hood, you don't have that emotional intelligence. And and you can't look for emotional intelligence. Because there is none. Because there is none. So, like, your mom probably couldn't process it. And then she's processing whatever she's processing. And she's dealing through that through dating. So she's trying to find this to cope with it somehow. It's a lot, bro. And then it's recently I found out because like not since I got older, I kind of like threw away that whole like oh like because I ain't gonna lie like when I was growing up, I was always like shut up, listen to what I'm saying or don't talk back or mm -hmm. you like I wasn't able to really speak my mind and whenever I spoke my mind, it was always you being disrespectful. Yeah. So it's like when I got older, I started asking questions. Yeah. You know, because it's just like, I want to know what the fuck is going on. And basically, I found out from my cousin on my grandmother's side was that my mom's, the grandmother that I had, mm. wasn't really my grandmother. Wow. My mom was adopted. And basically, this is a wicked story. You feel me? Like, this is like, you could you could get this because of like, like how long, man, you've known each other. And it's like, I know it's a lot of things you didn't know about me, but like. I found out, this was literally two, three years ago, I found out that, actually, nah, it was like four years ago, around the time when I was running, like right before I stopped coming to Apple, I had found out that my mom was adopted, and that um, when she was younger, she used to get whatever she wanted, you know, but she never could cope with the fact of not knowing who her parents was. It's like she knew herself, but never spoke about it out loud, you know, and she was kind of spoiled, she got whatever she wanted. But the, on the darker side, what I found out was that 
my grandmother couldn't have kids. So my grandfather, who was he was in the um the navy, he was a Re- um I think a Red Beret or Green Beret, one of them shits, mm-hmm. and he got another woman pregnant. Came back to my grandmother and was like, "Yo, I found somebody we can adopt a kid from." So like my mom's is like infidelity. Wow. So like she never really like I don't even know who my actual real family is on my mom's side of my family. Like wow. that's how dark. And I found that shit out when I was like what. I'm 28. I found that out when I was like 23. Wow. And once I found that out, that shit put in perspective everything that I went through in my life. I'm like, so I'm just dealing with the trauma that my mom was going through her entire life. And she didn't know how to cope with it and threw it on me because she couldn't throw it on my little brother because he was hard-headed, real hard-headed, you know? And when you're the oldest, I always say that um, the relationship between your mother, when you're the oldest and you come from a single-parent household, it's a business relationship. Mm-hmm. It's not a mother-son relationship. It's like, yo, I need you to do this okay. because I got to go to work. Mm-hmm. And if you don't do this, then I got to take off from work, and that's less money that's in the less house. less money in the house. So you fucking up in school is costing me way more money than it need to. I need you to figure this shit out. Okay. And I wasn't even fucking up in school. Niggas was just fucking it up for me. So I can so so through that, so now you're dealing with this, you're going through high school, you leave high school. What gets you to the city from Brooklyn? How do you find so Soho? That actually like how do you find that? That actually happened during high school. So um when I graduated from junior high school, um I didn't want to go to school in Brooklyn because like at the time this is when I had moved to the, the south, south side. side. And I was just like, yeah, I'm not really fucking with no school in Brooklyn right now. Like, I want to go to, like, I wanted to do, like, photography and graphic design. So, um, because I wanted to make movies. Like, I wanted to be, like, a film director and stuff. So, I'm like, yo, let me just go to this school. I went to um, graphics, um, high school graphic communication arts in the city. And from the city, that's kind of where I was able, it was kind of like my my safe haven. Because, like, when I left Brooklyn, in my mind, I'm like, I'm all the way in Manhattan. My dad don't know what I'm doing. I kind of could do whatever the fuck I want right now. And I had, and I kind of was going through a lot of shit in my pop's crib, too, because he was, like, cheating on my brother's mom. And, like, they was moving me from house to house, like, throughout my high school years and whatnot. Like, it was a lot of shit I was going through. So, like, through all of that, my safe haven was school because my pops would come home from work. It would be a cup in the sink, bro. One cup. We in the bed. My pops storming in the room, fucking us up. Let me tell you, wash the dishes. Wash the dishes in the sink. And it's like, bro, it's one cup. But it was the principal. But it was, and nah, it wasn't even the principal. He was just miserable and taking it out on us. Ah. Literally. Like, he was, whatever him and my brother moms was dealing with, Mm -hmm. he was just taking that shit out on us. And then also taking out the fact of, like, he had to work a bullshit job, you know? Like, he was working a moving job. He used to have a very good job. He was in the carpenter's union. He mm-hmm. was making breach, and then he kind of fucked that up for himself, you know, with his attitude being miserable and whatnot. Yeah. So, through high school, I used to leave school, and I would leave, go to school first period, leave school fourth period, and I started doing this sophomore year, because sophomore year is when I kind of got comfortable, yeah. and I really started making friends, because, like, my freshman year, I was the real weirdo. Like, I was wearing bapes, and, like, Harlem niggas was cutting my ass, like... Like, oh, this nigga got on fake Nikes. 
Cause you gotta remember, I'm in I'm in the school in the city. There's yeah. barely any Brooklyn niggas in my school. Yeah, everybody I went to school with is from the Bronx and Harlem or Queens. And being that you're in the city, fashion is different. Fashion is totally different. Yep. So you're seeing, you're getting introduced because this was this is what 2000. This was 2007. <laughs> 2007 to 2012. So so we're watching the rise of Kanye. Mm-hmm. We're seeing, we see Bape. But we, but we're, if you're fo- if you're honing in on Pharrell at that time, mm-hmm. you're seeing it. But this is also the introduction of like the real internet, internet, internet. Yeah. So like MySpace is becoming a thing. Mm-hmm. Skolnex is kind of leaving out. So I can imagine like you're in school and you're you're being. It's like a whole other world. Like it's like I always describe the first time going to Manhattan by yourself, like playing Mario sixty four. Okay. Not like you, like you jump into another world, like you're and you Bro, just land. I got off the train. <laughs> I got off the train. I used to go to the train at 40. Sometimes I used to get off at 42nd Street and walk to my school just because I'm like, I've never really been here. And like just getting off the train and looking up and just seeing all the billboards, all the buildings. I'm like, I'm not going home later on. Like, I'm like, what else is out here? What else? I'm like, what else is here? We used to leave school. This is when the Virgin Megastore was open. This this is real life. I used to leave school. Me and my my friends that I made, we used to cut school, go to the Virgin Megastore. Play Modern Warfare because they had the full game. game. The full game. It wasn't like demos or anything. The Virgin Megastore had the full game. And there would be other kids from other schools that was just like us. And we would just be in there 1v1 playing Modern Warfare for like three, four hours. When we get bored there, we go to the Nintendo store. Nintendo World, actually. Before it became the Nintendo store. It was Nintendo World. And then we would go there to play Wii Fuck with the Pokemon cards and all of that shit. We go to the Pokemon Center when the Pokemon Center was yep. there. And through that, I found out about Soho. So one day, my man was just like, yo, come me to the BBC store. I'm like, it was BBC. He's like, yo, come me to the BBC store. I'm like, I bet. We go to the BBC store. This nigga went there and spent $80 on socks. And I'm just like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, hold up. What's going on here? I'm and like, this store looks fire. Walk in, shit like a spaceship, <laughs> all of this crazy shit. I'm like, yeah. oh shit, shit lit. He went in there, only bought a pair, only four pair of socks, bro. 80 cash at the keep, time. Keep in mind, too, if this is 2007, 2008, Rox is still working there. Rox was working there, yep. Rox this is when Rox was working there. So this is, I remember my first time going to BBC and seeing Rox, like, and she was gorgeous then. Yeah, I was the little, I was like, yo, she's fire, bro. Like, who is that? Like, I remember having to like get my outfit together before you go to the store, just in case she said something to me. That was me, like, because I was so afraid. Like that, like niggas always say they got like I got extreme confidence. Any girl, no, nah, she killed my confidence. I ain't gonna front. <laughs> That was honestly, I can say like Rox was one of the first girls before I even knew who she was. Because at the time, I just thought she was just some shorty that worked in the store. Yeah. You feel me? It wasn't until, like, hanging out in the city and whatnot that I figured out she was, you know, Rox Brown. And, like, she did what she did. Mm-hmm. But it was, like, at the time, bro, I used to go in that store. And I would look at her and I'd just be, like, i look at myself. And I'd be, like, nah, I can't be in here like this. I'm, like, I can't come in here looking like this. Not again. And then, like, it was crazy because, like, my uncle already, he was, like, the, the bad apple already. So, like, mm-hmm. the way I look at it is, like, my brother is my pops, and I'm my uncle, because, like, okay. we moved the same way. And my uncle, he used to come to the crib, drop me and my brother off bread, and just give us, like, bags of clothes. And in these bags of clothes, 
was all these different brands like Dolce & Gabbana, Versace, Antiques, mm-hmm. fucking Rockin' Republic, True Religion, Babe, um, fucking, um, what's that other shit? All Saints. And I'm learning about all of this shit like right before I got into high school and going into high school. But at the time, I didn't know about BBC. So I used to just go out, hang around Soho, and it was to the point where I started just looking for shit on my own. You know, like, and I would Google, like, because remember, I, would, I grew up kind of in a in a, a bookshelf. <laughs> yeah, like, I was so reading you knew from how to young, research. so I knew how to research. So, like, I would go to the library, hop on Google, and I would just Google brands similar to Bape, Bathing Ape. And then Kid Robot popped up, BBC popped up. All these different Stussy, brands popped up. Stussy, the hundred, ten deep, all of this. Um, is popping what's the up. other shit? Rocksmith. Yeah. Like all these different brands started popping up, and I was just in my head. I'm like, yeah, this is what I want to fuck with. I'm like, because I'm looking at what the hood wearing. I'm like, that shit not fly to me. I'm like, this shit is fly to me. Yeah, you feel me? And then I started learning about streetwear. I started learning about you know Jordan. I never cared for Jordans. Like yeah. I was, I was all my pops used to try to buy me Jordans. I'd be like, nah, I don't really care for Jordans. I always like. Collaboration sneakers. I was wearing Supras. I was wearing like Toms, Birkenstocks before people was wearing Birkenstocks. Like I was wearing a lot of different shit. And then I started finding out about like Marc Jacob. I started finding out about like the high design. Like Marc Jacob, I found out I was in a thrift store and it was some wax denim skinny jeans that was in there. It was like 50 cash. And I'm like, oh, these jeans fire. And I looked at the inseam of the of the pants, and around the inseam of the pants, it said Mark. By Mark Jacobs in collaboration with Mark by Mark Jacobs for Mark by Mark Jacobs. And I'm just like, this how nigga, did, I'm how like, this nigga off? fucking with himself. I'm like, <laughs> I'm jacking this. I'm like, he just do it all. You feel me? So I bought the pants. Yeah. And then that ended up becoming my favorite designer just off of that. And then yeah. I did my research growing up and everything. But I was just running around the city, just exploring, just figuring shit out. And then I came across um, one of my best friends. His cousin was Jedi P. And Jedi P, we used to go to Soho with him. Sometimes he used to, he was a little weird back then because, you know, he was more popular. Like, he hung around, like, Glenn Brown and Ian Connor and all of them and stuff like that. So it's like when we hung out with him, and it wasn't really like we was hanging out with him. It was kind of like, it felt like for a while, like, we was following him around. And I didn't really like that at the time. So I just was like, yo, let me go find, like, my own shit. And I remember Fashion Night Out was a thing. I found out about Fashion Night Out. And I went, and I met these kids. There was this one kid that I met in front of my high school. His name was Vidal. It's, like, one of my best friends right now, like, one of my right-hand mans. And we met in Soho. We was just chilling for Fashion Night Out. And we met this other kid. He was like, yo, this your brother. I'm like, how does my brother? He was like, his last name is the same last name as yours. I'm like, what? I'm like, what's your name? He like, Ian McDonald. I'm like, what's, he like, what's your name? I'm like, LeVar McDonald. Immediately, he's like, yo, we brothers, bro. And I was, like, the first time that I kind of felt like, real friendship. Because in the hood, it was more so, like, you had to kind of, like, either fight or play ball to get a friendship in the hood. You feel me? Whereas when I went in Soho, it was like I could talk to anybody I wanted to talk to. And I was a people... I liked talking to people. So it was like I enjoyed that. And it was to the point where, like, I didn't want to go to school. Because it's like I'm going to school and I'm getting stressed out in high school, too. I'm getting stressed out OD at home. Because I'm watching all of this shit unfold. I'm learning all of this shit. So I just took the, uh, the high school opportunity as an opportunity to just do what I wanted to do and just figure myself out. You know, because, like, I still was figuring myself out. Like, like I was in a game. I was YGs for 30 days, bro. 
<laughs> 30 tried, days. tried everything. Like, and it was like, I wasn't even officially YGs. It was just like the niggas from my school that was YGs was jacking me and would piece me YGs. And it was like one day it was like like a, a situation happened in the school. It was a gun involved. And I was just like, yo, this shit not for me. Like I went and I told niggas straight up. I'm like, yo, I said, I'm going to be very honest with y'all. I'm like, this not my lifestyle. Like, this is not how I want to live. Like, I don't feel like I'm being myself. And they told me straight up, like, oh, we knew that already. I'm like... Yo, yo, right now you're listening live from the Stoop Podcast. If you like how the episode is going, be sure to rate, review, comment, and subscribe. We want to hear your thoughts. We want to know who we should have next as a guest. Let me know. Email me. Write me. Whatever you think is right, just let me know. Let's get back to the show. Have me here. And it was just like, you was the funny nigga. We needed a funny nigga around. And that was when I that was when I learned about people using you. Yeah. And that was when the depression started kicking in because at the that was when I started realizing I'm like, I right, are people being my friend because they genuinely want to be my friend, or are they just being my friend because it's just good to have me around and shit like that. And I remember the first album I bought was um, Man on the Moon Two, Legend of Mr. Rager. And listening to that project, that was the first time that I ever felt like somebody else understood me. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of the album that helped me cope through those four years. Really? Like, if it wasn't for that, like, like Cuddy is my number one favorite artist overall. Like, Kanye, I love Kanye to death. Cuddy is my number one. Because that album, bro, like, never in my life. I was just in my head, I'm like, I'm like, damn, son. I'm like, this nigga sound like me. Yeah, I'm like, he older than me and he sound like me. And I remember after listening to that album, I was just like, I found out about, like, Virgil. I found out about Heron, Kanye. I found out about that whole scene. And I was just like, yo, these are the people I want to be around. You know? Like, they running around getting out whatever ideas they wanted to get out. And that's, it's like, that's what I wanted to do. But I living in Brownsville, you don't really have access to that. Yeah. And then I realized that the only way to get access to that was to be in the city. And I remember I was, like, promoting parties in the hood because I wanted to make money. And, like, it was like I, I got kicked out of my crib. Well, not really kicked out. I left because I was just uncomfortable, you know? Like, it was like one day my pops, my, my brother mom, they broke up, and they was trying to move me from crib to crib because, like, my pops was, I guess, figuring his shit out, but he couldn't figure his shit out with me. Yeah. So, like, he tried to leave me with my brother moms, and one day I overheard her, you know, like, I came home early from school because I was just dealing with mad shit in school, and I was just like, yo, I just want to go home, you know? Like, and I went to the crib. And she asked me, she was like, oh, why are you home so early? And I was just like, oh, I lied. You know, I'm like, oh, they let me home. They let me out early. I just got homework to work on. She was like, all right, cool. She called my pops, and I'm listening to her while I'm in the living room. She's like, yo, LaVar's here, you know, and she's trying to tell him because at the end of the day, you know, like, they broke up. Yeah. So it's like, why is your child? It's not my son. Yeah. You know, and it's like, remember, I was reading from young. So it's like, I understood everything I heard from that age. And it was like. All I heard, all of the only words I heard out the room was, what you mean you don't got no room over there? This your son. While she was talking to him on the phone, bro, I swear to God, I packed the book bag and dipped. Like, because I was just like, I was just like, all right, I get it now. Like, you don't have, you don't want me. Mind you, my pops got married to like a whole new woman, had a whole new son. She had a daughter, all of that. And like, when I was staying with him for a little bit, it was weird. I was sleeping on the couch. This nigga built, like, a whole room for her daughter. I could never have company. I could never go outside. I could never do shit. Like, and it was like, I would promote parties and come home with bread. My pops would think I was lying about the money I was making. 
Like, and he was just thinking I was lying about everything because my brother was lying about everything because my brother went to school in the hood. So he was on some running on the running around on the streets all day. Like my brother would leave the crib, like, and I'd be in the house. Yo, let me know if mommy and them called. Just tell them I went to the store. That's what I did my whole childhood. I was barely outside. So like when I left the crib, that was my first time really like you know being outside. Like I I was staying at one of my homies' cribs for like a year. I went from staying at my homie crib to like three years just on the train, and I was like fuck it. Like I don't care. I'm like I'm gonna sleep on the train and then. I found out about Apple. I walked in the Apple store one day, and I just plugged my phone in the charger, and I sat there. And I saw how long I was sitting there, and then I took a nap. And then I was just in my head, I'm like, I right, this is the spot. I'm like, this is where I got to be. And then I found, I saw people using the computers, and I was like, can I use the computer? And then I went, and I was like using the computer one day, and I was looking around to see if anybody would fuck with me, and nobody really told me nothing. And then I was just in my head, I'm like, I right, this is where I'm going to get everything done that I want to do. And I remember my homie, he had um came up on some GoPros. And I was just like, fuck it, I'm about to just record everything that's going on. that Everything that I do every day. Like, just head strap or holding it in my hand, I'm going to record everything. And I would go to the Apple store and edit it. And that's where I taught myself how to edit videos, pictures, like, Fixing my Twitter, invoices. I did everything in Apple, bro. Everything. Like, if I did an event and niggas was like, yo, you gotta, you fill out this invoice. I'm like, what the fuck is an invoice? I went to Apple and Google, what is an invoice? Found out about invoice generator. And then was just making invoices now so I could get paid. It was crazy. That's, that's crazy. I was, my routine every day, this was my routine every day. Just so you know. I would go to, I would go out, party until like 2, 3, 4 in the morning. Try to find an afters, because, you know, it's like, it's four in the morning. I don't yeah. want to be out, out, you know? So, try to find an afters. There's no afters. I'll get on the end train. Sleep on the end train, bro. Back and forth. Back and forth. Stop to, into the stop, into the stop, into the stop, into the stop. Apple opened at 10 a.m. I made sure I got off the train at 10 a.m. I was in Apple by the time it opened. Got a real little comfortable 30-minute nap. Went straight on the computers and got to work. Like, all right, what's going on today? What events do I need to go to? Where, who can I network with? What jobs can I really get, you know? Like, and that was where everything just blew up. Like, what? And, and you know, it's crazy because, like, I hear that story and you don't know how much, like, how compelling that is. Like, how, like, you don't know other people's lives and what, how much this place is an impact. You know what I mean? So that that's that's crazy because I, I like I remember when I started following you on Instagram, yeah. And you were like, um, I was very expressive. You was very expressive. Yeah. Like I, the earliest remember I, I remember I think you went to it may have been Art Basel, yeah, for to see to meet to meet Kid Cudi. I think that's oh that was the bike trip. Yes, that was oh that was my peak. That was when I was hitting my peak of depression. I was like, yo, I'm out. I'm like, I can't stay here. I'm like, if I stay here any longer, because, like, I'm doing events with people. That was when I was in Shutdown Boys. And um, one of the kids that was in Shutdown Boys, he was kind of, like, real possessive over the group and was trying to do everything his way. And I'm like, yo, like, the advice I'm giving you is, like, I'm telling you everything to do. And it's, like, it's for us. It's, like, I'm not telling you what to do to make my life better. I'm trying to make all of our lives better. But 
he was more worried about himself because he was like, oh, I'm putting the money up for the venues and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And I'm like, all right, but I'm bringing all of the people so you can get your money back. Yeah. Like, so the, the least you could do is at least just take my advice, you yeah. know? And they never did that. I was dealing with mad shit with people just wanting to be around me for no reason. So I was just like, yo, I'm going to just get on the bike and ride to Cali. And I made like a whole campaign for it. Like, like I'm off this. That was literally the name of the campaign. I'm off this. A LaVar McDonald story. Still got the flyer in my email to this day. And I remember the day I left, um, I was supposed to leave before Halloween, but it was um, a rainstorm that came. So I ended up staying for Halloween. Um, we did a Halloween party with Theopolis London, and um, the party got shut down. And I remember me and Theo just chopping it up outside that night because I was running around Fashion Week and everything yeah. all these years before. So like uh, after a while, obviously, it's like you would get familiar with who I am. You keep seeing me. Yeah. So... He was just like, yo, like, what's what's going on? What's the moves, like, for the rest of the night? I'm like, yo, I'm leaving tomorrow. He's like, leaving where? I'm like, I'm about to ride a bike to Cali. And he's looking at me. <laughs> and I said it straight like that, too. And he looked at me, and he was like, bro, what? I'm like, yeah, bro. He was like, nah, we got to do something. I'm like, oh, I- shit. I'm like, you trying to do something with I'm in my head like, you trying to do something with me? He's like, yeah, yo, like, get the flyer made. Like, let's make a flyer right now. Like, you got somewhere where we can throw a party? And we had this crib that we called 568 Washington, and, um, Jay Critchhood, and we would just be like, and niggas be like, yo, at the party at 568. So I told him, I was like, yo, we got this spot in, in Clinton Hills. If you, you know, if you're trying, he's like, bro, make the flyer. Let's do it. And we did the party with him. He actually pulled up, DJed with us, chilled with us the whole night, was emceeing, turned it up. And I remember um, talking to Jay Critch and all of them before I left. And before the party ended and everything, and they was like, yo, like, one of my, one of his homies was, like, one of my men's, and he was just chopping it up with me, and then he told niggas, like, yo, this nigga about to ride a bike to Cali, <laughs> and Critchin' all of them in the room, like, nigga, what? what? Like, a motorcycle? I'm like, nah, bicycle. And they like, nah, this nigga, like, this nigga got it. Like, what the fuck is he talking about? A lot of like, niggas just looking at me like I was crazy. I ain't gonna front. And I remember that night, it's crazy, a lot of people don't know this, so... I ain't have a bike to leave. So I had to I had to catch a come up on a bike. I caught a come up on a bike and I just did. It wasn't even a good bike. It was it, a bike. Nah, it was a, I ain't gonna lie, it was a, I found out two days later it was a thirty thousand dollar bike. I ain't oh, even and know. Then you, you came I ain't up. even know. But it wasn't my size either, so it was the ride was very uncomfortable. Like okay. my knees was was up here, bro. Okay. Like, and I remember I left and for the first time in my life, I felt happy because I was on my own. I was doing what I wanted. I didn't really have a lot of stress. And it was a lot of girls just hitting me up like, yo, come stay in my dorm. And I was just like, like, wait, I'm like, I'm leaving. I'm like, I have nowhere to live. I'm about to ride a bike and don't know I have nowhere to live. And now I got a whole bunch of girls like, yo, come stay in my dorm while you're on your trip. Fuck yeah. Yeah, it's You know, and I took it as a chance to explore as well because I never left New York. The mm-hmm. only place I went was Jersey, and then I would go to, like, New Rochelle in Connecticut with, like, my count. pops and shit, and that really didn't count. So, like, my first stop was Philly. And when I went to Philly, I remember I got there, my homies that was staying there, he's from New York, but he was going to Temple, and they was all in the crib, and I remember I came in the crib, and then they was like, yo, this is my homie that rode the bike here, and then they was like, yo, where the bike at? <laughs> and then I opened the door, I brought the bike in the crib, and immediately, niggas just dropped a pound of weed on the table. Like, oh, you smoke? I'm like, hell yeah. They like, 
yo, the weed on the table, we got backwards papers, ah, ah, they was like, um, here's a towel and a rag for you to take a shower, you can come out, you can roll up, I'm like, bet, came out, I was only supposed to be in Philly for two days, bro, I was in Philly for a week and a half, having the time of my life, exploring, left Philly, Went to D.C. right after. I'm in D.C., same thing. I'm exploring D.C., the DMV, going to Virginia, Maryland, back and forth. Like, because I was staying at um, Goucher College with my homegirl. And then my homie, he lived in VA. And then my other homie lived in D.C. too. So it was like I had a bunch of people to just show me around. And then from there, I went to um, Atlanta. I was supposed to go to North and South Carolina. There's nothing there. But no, nah, it wasn't that there was nothing there. It was because I left during Trump's election. Wow. Yeah, so I was all by myself riding through all of these neighborhoods with Confederate flags and shit the week of Trump's presidency that he was supposed to get elected president. So the night I left D.C. was the night he got elected president. And that was when I started seeing the dark side of shit, people crying in the dorms, like... Kids not wanting to go to work, not going to class, none of that shit. And I got to um, I got to Atlanta, and I was hyped to go to Atlanta because everybody was just like, you know, Atlanta's black. Yeah, Atlanta's I'm just black. like, it's lit. I'm going where the niggas is at now. Like, yeah, about the mecca. It's, it's the mecca. It's the mecca. So I go to um, I go to Atlanta, and the first place I go is Spelman because this girl from Twitter, she's just like, oh, like come stay in my dorm, and I'm in my head like, how the fuck I'm gonna get on your dorm? Like, you go to Spelman, and like, we ended up chilling in some... She finessed some nigga for weed so I could smoke with her. We was in his dorm chilling, and then I went back to her dorm. And then she was trying to get me to come to her dorm, but then her nigga call, kept calling her and whatnot. And then he came, picked her up or whatever, and then I just went about my life, you know? You know, just riding around yeah. Atlanta, exploring. And then from Atlanta, left Atlanta, went straight to Florida. And I remember I was staying with my homie in Orlando at first. And then from Orlando, I went straight to Miami. And when I got to Miami, it was like a a, a lit thing. Because, like, I was staying in all of these different places for mad long. You know, kind of because, like, I was trying to, like, space out time so that I'm in Miami when Basel starts. I didn't want to be in Miami way before it starts. And then I'm just a beach bum. Yeah. You know? So I get to Miami, and one of my mans, um, one of my former friends, he was cool with, like, ski masking on them. And this was, like, before they, like, blew up huge. Yeah. So, um, this kid Trunks, he had hit me up. He was like, yo, let me know when you're in Miami. I'm like, I bet. So, I hit him up. I ended up staying in the day crib for the night. Um, I met Ski Mask for the first time. We was all chilling. Went to the studio with them and everything and whatnot. Chilled with them for one night. And then I went and stayed with my other homie while I was in Miami for that whole time. And I remember the first place we went was this V-Loan pop-up. And we went to the V-Loan pop-up, and Bari already kind of, like, knew who I was because of the city. And, like, running around with Theo. Like, remember, I went viral for making fun of him, Ian, and Theopolis fighting in, in Paris Fashion Week. I had made that video about the ape and them yeah. and Trump and whatnot. And, like, Bari, was, I guess, was fucking with me because of that. And I remember I got to Miami, went to the V-Loan line. We waiting on line. And my homie, he said he was already supposed to be linking Bari because he was supposed to be giving um, Smokey some clothes that he made. So I just went with him. I was like, yo, just pull up. We out. And we go. And I remember Bari came outside and saw me on the line and was like, nigga, what the fuck you doing here? I'm like, I rode a bike here. That nigga, was, that nigga looked at me and said, nigga, what? And then, and then mind you, I had a GoPro on my head while all of this is happening. And then my man's look at me and he look at Bari. He's like, yo, he dead ass. He's staying at my crib. 
And Bari already coming outside to grab him to bring yeah. him in. Remember, he had the shit for Smokey and whatnot. Yeah. And the nigga Bari just looking at me like, nah, this nigga crazy. We go inside, this nigga Bari starts telling everybody, bro. This nigga, everywhere I went, yo, ain't you the kid that rode a bike here? I'm like, how do you know this? I went to the, they had a pool party. ASAP had a pool party. I remember we snuck into the pool party and whatnot. Um, Barrio had told us we was valid, but then I guess a lot of people was crowding him or whatever. Yeah. So I told my man, I'm like, yo, fuck that. I'm like, I'm not even trying to stress him out. You yeah. feel me? I'm like, let's just finesse and get in on our own. We like hopped the fence, got in. We end up at dinner. They There's like a long table. These niggas is having dinner before the party. Rocky, fucking Larry Love, all these niggas. Rosario Dawson's in the party. All of this shit. And I walk in and I tell my man, I'm like... I'm like, I don't think we should be here right now. I'm like, I think it's a little too early. And then my man's like, nah, bro, we valid. He went straight to the bar. I'm like, I'm like, we here. I'm like, I'm like, yo, bro. I'm like, I don't know, bro. I rode a bike here. I don't think I'm supposed to be here. Yeah, I'm like, I don't think I'm supposed to be here, bro. I'm like, they having dinner and shit. He's like, nah, bro, we valid. Like, yo, we in here. Fuck it. So luckily, the dinner ended by the time we got in. (laughs) So we was just partying and shit like that. And before I left, um, my homie, he did a show with Dr. Genius. Okay. And I ended up meeting Dot that night. It was like two, three months prior to when that happened or whatever. And I remember Dot had found out I was leaving too. And he had sent me some bread. He sent me like $50, $75, I think it was, towards the um trip and whatnot. Because, man, I put my PayPal cash app. I threw all of that shit up. Like, yo, if y'all want to send me bread for like emergencies or hotels, bike repairs, anything, you know, like that's for that. And I remember Cuddy had announced he was throwing a party. And I was like, I gotta go. I tried yeah. to buy the tickets, and allegedly they told me they were sold out online. So I text Dot. I didn't want to ask him to get in for free because mm-hmm. I'm just like I don't really know him that well at the time. You know, I just knew him from the show. Even though we had like a real good convo, like he invited us to chill with him in the stew after the event and everything. But it's like still, I'm just the kind of person that's like I wouldn't do something to somebody. I wouldn't want somebody to do to me. So I just asked him like, Yo, y'all gonna have tickets at the door? Like, what's the situation? Like, I'm trying to come. And he's like, oh, just pull up. Like, right now. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, pull up right now, bro. I'm like, I'm with a couple people, though, that I'm staying with. He's like, oh, I thought you came out here by yourself. I'm like, yeah, I'm just with a couple of my homies. He's like, yeah, y'all good. Pull up. I'm like, oh, fuck. So I'm like, yo, we out. I told my man's family, yo, fuck that, we out. So we go. And I remember it was at this venue. It was a venue. It was the same venue, but it was two parts across street from each other. And we went to the other side first because we thought it was there. But it was um, really in a smaller venue. So we went to the smaller venue, and then they told us that across the street was Young Thug. I'm like, Young Thug? They're like, yeah, Young Thug doing a concert across the street, and Cuddy's over here. I'm like, what the fuck? I'm like, never experienced nothing like this. I'm in Miami. I'm like, it's lit. So we do the show, and I'm on stage the whole night. I'm, like, recording with my camera. I'm chilling. I'm getting drunk. And I, I remember Cuddy walking in through the main entrance. And he, like, walked in through the crowd, and, like, everybody was going wild, and Virgil's DJing, like, he's, like, right next to me DJing. Me and him didn't really know each other at the time, and um, me and Dot, Dot's right behind me with um, Real, um, his manager and everything, and Cuddy comes walking in with, um, with, what's his name? I think his name, Derek or Devin or something like that. Mm-hmm. Devin, yeah, he walks in with Devin through the crowd, and... Virgil and all of us, the CDJs is on this flimsy-ass table on stage. So Virgil, like, steps on the fucking table, and he's like, yo, get him up here, get him up here. And we, like, helping Cuddy get up. And I'm just sitting there, I'm like, yo, like, why am I here? Like, that was when I started realizing, I'm like, 
I'm not going through all of these moments and I'm not in all of these places for no reason. You mm-hmm. know, like I was very big on like the universe putting me in places and it was so crazy that like the nigga Cuddy basically climbed over my shoulder to get on the stage. And I remember like Virgil being in his ear, like, yo, Cuddy, you to go, blah, blah, blah. Like I was on a speaker. Travis Scott was like, he like pushed some girl off the speaker, stood up next to me and grabbed me. Didn't even know who I was. I didn't even know who he was at first. I knew who Travis Scott was, but I didn't yeah. know it was Travis Scott that grabbed me. The nigga grabbed me. I turned to the nigga crying and shit. I'm like, yo. I start crying. I'm like, fuck. I'm like, this is a big moment. I'm like, it's Cuddy. Yeah. It's like fresh out of rehab, Cuddy. Yeah. And I remember, I remember like in that moment, I started crying because I was just like, for the first time in my life, I felt happy. Like I was happy doing something that I wanted to do. And the next day, my best friend died. Wow. In the city. And it wasn't like one of those, like he was murdered or anything. They just found him on the side of a highway, like, I was getting dressed, we was on our way to go to, um, 40 ounce bounce, and my mans called me right before we was about to walk out the door, and he was just like, yo, Ian died, and I'm like, yo, stop playing with me, bro, like, you being funny, and he's like, bro, look at the news, look at News 12, I'm in Miami, so I had to, like, Google it, and then I looked it up, and it was just like, oh, um, 22-year-old, 21-year-old found on the side of, um, Prospect Highway, and they just called it a possible hit and run. It was no to this day. It's still no answers of how he died, and that was like my best friend. Remember the kid I told you earlier on, the one I met in Soho. He ended up dying, and that was when my life spiraled because I was just in my head like, "What the fuck?" I'm like, "I'm all the way in Miami, bro. Like, I'm not around none of my friends. People was just telling me like, "Yo, just have a drink, bro. Like, it's good." And I'm just like, "Nah, y'all kind of don't understand. Like, this was like my best friend." It started everything. Yeah, it, like, started, like, that kind of started me as a person being comfortable to even be in the city. So, like, when that happened, I came back to the city with a whole different energy. I was just like, yo, fuck everybody. Because, like, at that point, after everything I did in Miami, it kind of felt like people was trying to be the first ones to be around me because of the people that I was around. Because they wanted those people to see who I be around. And... From then to now was when I started realizing that a lot of the people that were my friends weren't my friends. They were only my friends and only letting me sleep on their couch, sleep on their floor or whatever was because it came with the best perks. You know, it was like, oh, if LeVar sleep on my couch, if LeVar go out for fashion week and he valid for a party, I'm valid for a party. And, you know, you know, I was talking to somebody recently about um, living in New York. And I think that's the downside. Yep. of living in New York that you constantly feel in this rat race to climb on top of each other. Okay. And it's it's um it's not purposely. Like as you get older, you understand that they're not doing it on purpose. They're just trying to survive. To survive and trying to be somebody. And that's the even sadder part of this survival mentality that you don't even get to create real friendship because you're so hell bent on you being noticed or you being able to breathe. Mm-hmm. And and once you learn that, I feel like you give so you give people so much grace to like you know what I understand. It's not you. You're just not where I am at yet. And where I am in my own piece. And the thing is, I didn't even look at it. I used to look at myself. I'm like, like, I want what y'all have. Mm-hmm. Like, y'all got a crib. 
Y'all talk to your parents all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I want that. Like, to this day, I haven't, it's been like 11 years now since I've spoken to my moms. The last conversation I had with my moms, I told her, I'm like, I'm homeless. Like, I don't have nowhere to live. I found that my mom's is living. My mom lives in the Bronx. My mom actually does not live far from here if she still lived there. Like, wow. like she's probably 15, 20 minutes from where we are right now in the Bronx. Wow. Nice ass condo. There's a studio apartment. She got electric stove, TV, all of that shit. And I remember that day I wanted to take a picture of her because I'm like, yo, I haven't, like, before seeing her, I could not, even right now, like, I don't remember how my mom's look. That's mm-hmm. why I always make that joke, like, my mom's look like me with weave. And it's like, <laughs> like that was like a joke I made to cope to kind of cope with it. Cope with it because it was just like, like people be like, "Yo, what your mom's look like?" And I'm like, "Yo, my mom's look like me with weave," because yeah. she dead ass looked like me with weave. Yeah, and that's the only way I could kind of imagine her in my head. And I remember that day I tried to take a picture of. I'm like, "Yo, let's take a picture." My mom's was like, "Nah," and I was just in my head like, "Oh," and then she was just like, "Yeah, I gotta go. Like, I got stuff to do." And I was just in my head like, "Damn," I'm like, that was when I realized I'm like. So I'm really just out here, you know, like my pops cared, but he didn't care that much, you know, because the last combo I had with my pops after that, he was like, oh, I wanted to go to college. And he's like, oh, it's either you go to the army or um, you don't come back to my house. And I looked at my pops in his eyes and I said, yo, suck my dick. And he looked at me, my, my one of my friends was right there. He was like, yo, LeVar, chill. I'm like, nah, bro. I'm like, you my pops and you telling me not to go to school right now? I'm like, do you hear how you sound? I'm like, I'm not selling drugs. I started blacking, bro. People in the block was looking at me like, oh, shit. I'm like, I'm not out here selling drugs. I'm not out here robbing niggas. I'm not doing nothing wrong. I'm actually out here trying to make something of myself. And all I want is your support in doing that. And you telling me to go to the army instead, bro? I was like, suck my dick. And I did. And, it, and I've just been, past 10 years now, I've been on the streets. And it's like, up until last last That's year, yeah. I finally got my own crib. Like, my own bed. Like, I never and had a bed. I want to talk about that because I feel like you found love, too. Yes. And that has to be amazing mm-hmm. to find unconditional support first, and love. First girl that didn't care about, oh, you're cool, or how much followers I got, or how much people are around. Because, like, my shorty, she was uh, she was an assistant stylist, and she was a, she was working corporate at Macy's. So it's like she was already doing shit on her own. Mm. So she was styling people like Misty Copeland. She styled Ferg for a video. She styled Casanova before. And she was just doing shit on her own, you know? And she went to FIT and whatnot. And we was friends for like three years before we even was on some like, oh, we like each other. And for the first, that was the first time I ever really felt, I'm like, all right, like this is somebody that I could tell actually like me, you know? Because mm. like, we would hang out. We wasn't talking about the scene. We wasn't really... We was talking about the stupidest shit in the world. And we ended up just dating. And now we, like, in a full-blown relationship. Like, and it's cool because a lot of the other girls I dated, they only dated me to get closer to something else that I was around, which would either be either a nigga or a certain event or just an opportunity that they wanted. This girl, she don't want nothing from me at all. You know, like... And that has to be... It's beautiful and scary at the same time because it's it's survivor's guilt, right? And it's mm-hmm. a little bit of um, imposter syndrome because you have those moments like, it got to be something. This can't be real. Exactly. You can't just like me for me because no one's liked me for me. Nobody. <laughs> so it's like, but the thing is, how she, do you see beauty in me that I don't even see in myself? In myself. And it was because she basically went through the same shit. 
And it's like, I got, as I got to know her family and everything, I started realizing, I'm like, damn, I'm like, we literally are like the same person. Like, your parent, like, you know, your family just a little bit more together than mine's, mm -hmm. but it's basically the same shit. You know, like, she came out here, when she finished FIT, she was house hopping. She didn't want to go back to Syracuse because there's nothing there. Yeah, that's how I felt about Brownsville. There's nothing there, you know? So it's like, she did for it and did what she had to do to try to stay here. And it's like, now we got a crib in Syracuse. Our rent is six seventy five a month, two bedroom, <laughs> like... Cheap as fuck. I remember when I saw you on live, you was like, Yo, Rob, you see me? 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 I got an apartment. No I was like, bro, I'm not going to hold you, bro. I shed a tear because I think people don't, people don't know. A lot of people don't know. How it feels when someone gives you keys and they're your keys. How it feels when you go and buy your own bed and it's like, it's mine. Like, it don't belong shit. to nobody. I ain't gotta. I don't have to worry about someone being in it when I get home. I can leave it messy. I can, I can leave, leave it, it dirty. I can shit in the toilet and not flush it. Yeah, like Straight, all of those like, things that like people be like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. But it is. How does the project for the building come along? So that actually started twenty fifteen. So, you remember when I was bringing, like, groups of kids to the city? Yeah. That was No Negativity. So, really? No Negativity was a group page that I started on Facebook. It started with um, 100 people. And what I did was I saw what I was doing in the city, and I saw the relationships that I was making, the friendships I was making, the companies that I was working with at the time. And I was just like, let me make group a group page, put a bunch of people in it, Fill it up with half kids that know what they want to do in life, that are already doing it and are really good at it, and put them in a room with a bunch of kids who are trying to figure out what they want to do in their life. And when it first started, I started off the way I did it was, you know, I had a pen post and I was like, yo, before y'all do anything, go to the pen post, put your name, your age, where you from, what do you want to do in life, and why you feel you deserve to be in this group. And it blew up. Like, people wanted to be in it. People were mad that they couldn't be in it. It was to the point where, like, a lot of the wrong people got in it and mm -hmm. was talking about sex, a whole bunch of stupid shit, you know? Like, and people was just envious of me because they were just like, oh, like, niggas only listen to you and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, it's not that niggas only listen to me. It's just because your energy isn't genuine. You're not coming off genuine. Yeah. You you just in this group page because you know you being in here is giving you access to people who are willing to go to whatever the fuck is in there. So yeah. it's like, oh, I got a show. Y'all got to come to my show. And it's like, that's not the type of timing we on, bro. Yeah. Like, we all collectively was supporting each other. You know, like, if somebody did an event, we would tell them, like, yo, like, we going to this event this day. On Monday, we're going to go support Josh. On yeah. Wednesday, we go on the Mike show. Um, Susan is doing some shit on Saturday during the day. And then at night, Steve's going to do some shit. And it's like, that's how I kind of orchestrated the group. Because when I watched, one thing I noticed about that whole Tumblr mix-up when they blew up was that it was a lot of we doing this for the kids and I'm king of the youth this and I'm this and that. But it's like, they just kept taking from them. You know, it was just like buy my merch, buy my clothes, buy these concert tickets, buy this, buy that. But yeah, you inspiring kids, but it's like, what are you actually doing for them? 
You're, you're sucking but, the life force. Yeah, right? besides making them spend money that... They don't have. They don't have. And I'm just like, all right, cool. I kind of wanted it to be the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. And I started doing meetups in Prospect. It would be like, just chill. I'll tell people like, yo, no drugs. You know, weed was always there because it's weed. Yeah, weed's not a drug. But yeah, weed's not a drug, you know. And then like, I'll tell people like, yo, bring a football. Bring a soccer ball. Bring art. Bring a speaker or something. Bring something that would congregate people together. Mm-hmm. And hundreds of kids made friendships. A lot of them went through a lot of bad shit because of, remember I was telling you, yeah. there was a lot of negative niggas that was in there I had to get rid of. But a lot of them now, like even Lex. Lex was somebody that was in that group. And like, like a lot of them made something out of themselves from that group. And I always told myself, I was like, yo, like I imagine this, you know, being like just this huge building and like, you know, like if a kid needed a place to crash for the night, he could come there and like we got a bed ready for him. Or like if a kid didn't have a computer and they wanted to work on some shit, they could come there and work on it. If they needed help with photo studio setup and everything, we got a photo studio where they could learn audio production, audio engineering, podcasting. Like I want to have all of this in one place, you know, Therapy. for them. Yeah, literally, because yeah. we don't we don't have that. The community centers that we have right now, they're more focused on sports. Like play yeah. basketball or this that. It's not anywhere for a creative. There's nowhere for a creative kid, right there's now. There's way more. There's way more creatives than athletes. Way more right now. And V Files kind of tried to do it, mm-hmm. but they failed because I just felt like it was a popularity contest with them. It was more so who they felt should have been put in the forefront over who shouldn't. Because I remember when they were starting to die out was when they finally started to reach out to me. And after a while, I was just in my head like, fuck this shit. Like, I did mad shit for y'all, you know? Yeah, I did it on my own, and I'm not expecting anything from y'all. But the fact that y'all couldn't even acknowledge that I was outside telling kids, yo, we out to V-Files. And them not knowing that majority of the kids that were coming in were coming in because I was going to be there. And they knew that me being there was going to make it fun. And I was just like, fuck it, I'm going to just do my own thing. And I made the go. I watched everybody make GoFundMe's for, you know, transgenders. I watched people make GoFundMe's because they didn't want to pay their rent. I watched people make GoFundMe's because they just wanted free money. I watched people make GoFundMe's because they claim they were raising money for Black Lives Matter. And I'm like, why isn't nobody trying to raise money to, like, open community centers or yeah. open more, excuse me, more businesses? So I'm like, fuck it. I'm going to make a GoFundMe for that. And I'm at, what, 15, 16K right now? Like... I need 180000 to get a realistic place. That we're working that on act- work, that we're- actively. That's, yeah. that, that's a bigger reason why LeVar is here. Like, be clear. This is this is more than just, like, an interview. Like, this is really what I really wanted you to speak about. Yeah, so, like, with that, I was just like, all right, cool, I'm going to raise some money to try to do it. Um, a lot of people didn't really care for it at first. Mm-hmm. Um, they were, like, spreading rumors. Oh, LeVar's going to spend the money. LeVar's not going to do this. LeVar's going to do that. And it wasn't until Virgil kind of, like, saw it. Me and Virgil got into, like, an argument. And we had an argument about... A discussion. Um, well, yeah, a discussion. It, it, was, it wasn't it was, an argument. It was a tiff. In my eyes at the time, it was an argument. But, <laughs> but it, was a little, back, it was a little discussion. It was a passionate discussion. It was a very passionate discussion about the protests and everything that was going on. Because I guess he was upset that um, the kids went out and was, like... Violet and Don C and Sean Witherspoon and all of this mm-hmm. stuff. And I was just in his inbox. I'm telling him, I'm like, bro, y'all taught these niggas this shit. 
I'm like, in the 70s and 80s, niggas was not worrying about stealing clothes. Niggas was stealing fridges, stoves, shit they needed. Food. Well, not only that, but we got hip hop out of the. When the Bronx was burning in 1977, it's not. It's no coincidence that hip hop started. Started yep. literally a year later mm-hmm. because everyone stole the audio equipment. Niggas had the equipment to do everything they needed to do in the crib because they got it from this. <laughs> yeah. So it was like he at first he wasn't really trying to understand it and everything. And there was this one thing that he said that at first I was a little upset, but then it took me a while to really think about it and realize that it's true. He said that you know he was like I put out a book. He said he put out a book which is a roadmap of how he started from Pyrex before Pyrex up until now. Mm-hmm. And it literally breaks down every single thing that he's done, how he's done it, how he went about doing it, the paperwork, everything is in the book. But kids don't read. And I told myself, I'm like, I'm like, kids don't read. How could you say some shit like that? Some ignorant. At the time, he's like, that's some. At first, I'm like, yo, that's some ignorant ass shit. (laughs) That's some elitist. shit to say. But I started feeling that way because I write these long captions, and niggas don't read them. (laughs) And they comment under it like, yeah, bro, like I, I feel you. And then they come outside, and they do the exact same thing that I'm talking about in the caption. That gets me upset. And I realized, I'm like, I I understood where you were coming from with that. But then I kept telling him, I'm like, bro, none of us would know about Balenciaga. We we wouldn't know about none of these brands if it wasn't for Kanye and y'all. Y'all fed that to us. Like, we are products of your creativity. Like, we are the generation. I'm like, these kids are not the kids that was listening to Meek Mill. These are all the kids that's looting are the niggas that's listening to Kanye, that grew up listening to Our Future, Dreamville. TDE, ASAP Mob, fucking yeah. good music, big credit, all of that shit. This and I, so I said, when the looting started, and not to like keep to keep on to that, but I I didn't even call it looting. It was like, it's liberating. It's liberating. And the reason it was liberating is because, well, I know you, you didn't say you watched. You saw do the right thing. Yeah, I seen do the right thing. All right, so this is my example. Sal's Pizza Shop was in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. But the problem with Sal's Pizza Shop, the money wasn't in the neighborhood. Sal was in the neighborhood. When Sal went home, that money went wherever wherever he spent his money at, was it wherever the fuck he spent, he spent his, his, his money, money at. But the money that was coming in was the money for the neighborhood. From that neighborhood. And the neighborhood never saw nothing from it. So when the pizza shop burned down and Mookie looked at him and said, yo, where's my money? I'm gonna fuck about what's happening over there. That's personal, my nigga. Has nothing to do with me. me. I came for my job. I need my money. Okay. Yeah, that's real fucked up. What's going on? Yada yada yada. But I need my money. And in that moment, I felt the same way about streetwear. I said these kids are products of your environment that you created. You've made them glamour over these things, kill for these things. Lust over these things. And you know what I told him? You see how you're saying all of this? You know what I told him? In exact words, I said, these kids are going out, spending money on your product. Right now, in a time where you should be outside with them, they don't see you with them. I said, where's Off-White at? In Soho. It's not in the hood. Where's Don C. Store at? 
in Chicago. It's not in the hood. Where's Sean Witherspoon's store at? It's not in the hood. So what do you think them kids going to do? You you said that this is, I told him, I said, you said that this is a lifestyle and we don't take from our brothers and this, that, and the third. I'm like, but that's a lifestyle y'all created for y'all. You, Jerry, Sean, Don C, um, what's the nigga, Taz Arnold. Yeah. Y'all all created that whole scene, including Ian and Glenn and all of y'all. I'm like, y'all created that scene and y'all made it revolved around y'all. Y'all didn't really let anyone else in. No. So how do you think all these kids feel right now? Like, like I'm like, the first thing a kid says when he can't get a pair of your sneakers is fuck you. It's not, oh, I'm going to wait and see if I get another pair. The, I watch them. They say fuck Virgil. Fuck Nike. Fuck Adidas. Fuck, fuck Kanye. I can't get shoes. Yeah. And, and guess what? I told them, I said, they went out and they took from y'all because guess what? Y'all been taking from them for years, bro. And, and now when took, you and they knew it was valuable. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, look at this. I said, reselling started on the streets. Round two tried to take it. Round two tried to take the culture of reselling and make themselves, you know, the epicenter of, well, you need to just trade with us. And then StockX came and took that whole shit from all of y'all. And it took away from the kids who were remember, you know, you you we're only a few years. Apart, but you remember the first consignment store that we knew of was the black kid who had it in Harlem. Oh, Harlem, yep. And no one supported him. Nope. That kid built that shit. It was him and Rare Pair on Mulberry. Yep. Those are the only two places that I knew of. And it was one other flight club, don't really count. Because Flight Club was already flight, established. But the only flight club I knew of was the flight club on Green, Green Street. Street. Yeah. So it was like there wasn't really no other places And before like Red that. Pair, it was, it was Kick-Sclusive. Kick-Sclusive. I, I said Red Pair. It was, yeah, it was Kick-Sclusive. So, I, I said once, I said on Clubhouse, I said, if you see a round two, I said round two is a living embodiment of the gentrification of streetwear. Yep. And Stock X was the, the peaking point of it. Yeah. Because like now... We don't even control that process now. Nope. Stock X control all the numbers. You yeah. can't go outside and say, yo, I want 1500 for this sneaker because the nigga going to look at you and say, Stock X ain't 800 Yeah. Straight like that. And I told him that. And I black, bro. Like, I could literally show you the message. It's a long, like, three paragraphs I wrote him. He, he didn't reply to me. He went on Instagram and I guess tried to say something to the people. And the people's response was just, like, not jacking it. He came back in my DM and was like, yo, I'm thinking everything through. I understand where you're coming from. How can we paint a better future? You know, like, what can we do to make everything better? And I told him, I'm like, bro, like, whatever we can do, let's do it. And he started by donating the $5,050. And another thing I didn't like was that people were like, oh, you fucking with Virgil. He only donated $50. And I'm just in my head, I'm like, Y'all letting white people manipulate y'all into doing shit like that. Yeah. He, if you were reading, if you read and understood why he donated the $50, you would know he donated $50 because somebody else he knew donated $50 and asked him to donate $50. And then what did Virgil do? He said, I donated 50. Y'all come match my 50. (laughs) Yeah. Nobody matched it. And the crazy thing is, Hindsight is twenty twenty because you say fifty dollars, and the reason why fifty dollars 
at that time, I'm not saying $10,000 where people can't match me. I'm saying 50 where there's more people that can match me at 50 than match me at 20. Exactly. We'll get more people to match at 50 long term. Or even get people to put 20. Yeah. Just because. Yeah. And people didn't like it. And then it was in that moment that I told myself, I'm like, no, nah, I'm fucking with him. Because I'm like, I genuinely fucked with him from before. And then I just had this conversation with him that kind of like, you know, brightened me up into seeing what kind of person he is. And it showed me, you know, like he's older now. He's still looking at, he was still looking at the city as like what? As if it was 2012 still. Yeah. As if it was him, Heron, and all of them running around the city. And I'm like, bro, it's a whole new thing now. Yeah. I'm like, kids don't, I'm like, to be honest, kids don't give a fuck about you, bro. I'm like, all they want is shoes. And the only reason they want the shoes is because the shoe gonna make them some money. It's not, it's not, it's not my generation because, you know, I'm, I'm 33. So yeah. my generation comes from wearing our shoes. Y'all wear y'all shoes. And trying to like, yo, look at me, I'm stylish. And at some point, we got into reselling at one point in time. But the thing is, y'all y'all do the one for the feet, one for the resale. Yeah. If we can get two, that's really what But there's, works. now is niggas that's like, I need 12 pairs because they want 10 bands in a day. Yeah. I don't even care what the shoe is. I'm not even looking at it in the box. How much is it going How for? How much is it going for? The box never get opened. The yeah. shoe never get worn, never get looked at. And I told him that. I'm like, bro, niggas don't care about you, bro. I'm like, if you not, if you stop dropping sneakers, if you if you came out and said, I'm not dropping no more sneakers with Nike, that'll be the day that you lose the largest part of your audience. Because that's the only reason niggas care about you right now. And niggas are that much tapped in. And if people are that much tapped in, you have a responsibility to the community to put people on. But the thing is, Virgil does a lot. It's just niggas don't pay attention to it. This is true. He do too much. He doing shit in Africa, Europe, in his own hometown in Chicago. Like, he doing mad shit everywhere. So it's like the fact that y'all just coming out on some like, oh, Virgil not doing nothing for nobody and this, that, and the third. It's like, nah, y'all don't really fuck with Virgil the way y'all say y'all fuck with Virgil. Y'all just want the shoes. And that's fine. And that's cool. But just say it. Just say that. Don't make it seem like you jacking him from a, a whole hole in the wall, you know? Like, but that was where, like, that whole shit came from. And it's like, even him donating the money and, like, just communicating with me, trying to help me get it together and whatnot. Like, like it's a couple things that we got in the bag that's going to, like, happen soon in the future. Like, I know he got a lot of shit going on, so I haven't been pressed. And I got a lot of shit going on, so I kind of have been on pause with the community center thing, only because, like... I kind of want to do events and build more relationships with certain people mm-hmm. before I start asking and doing like real. Because I want to do real fundraisers now. I don't really yeah. want to do keep asking the people for money, you know? Like, because yeah. the people have given already, what, $11,000? Yeah. Like on their own. And now I'm in my head, I'm like, all right, that's good. I did a lot for a lot of these record labels, a lot of these companies. All I'm like, y'all stop giving me bread. I'm like, they got to start coughing up some money. Because yeah. y- y'all claim y'all do this for the kids and we doing this for the youth and this, that, and third. It's like, all right, cool. So invest in something that's actually giving back to them, especially somebody that you could trust. It's not like I'm somebody that's just going to be on some, yeah, I'm going to take all this bread and go buy a Benz. Like I'm actually putting the money back where it's supposed to go. Like I did the, the first no nag meetup on what was it? Fourth of July weekend. Yeah. And I went out and I, I dropped bread on food, bro. 
Like, I paid the DJs myself. I paid everybody myself. I bought, uh, we had what? I went to the store and I bought 700 waters. People brought like four or 500 more extra. I bought food. People brought food. It's like, I'm not doing this shit to be cool. I'm like, if I wanted to be rich, I could have been rich off of throwing parties. It's not about, it's a way bigger than that. Like, it's already enough people big for, do, for doing that. It's already How enough. How do you, I think it's, you don't want to hustle for your first name. You want to hustle for your last name. And, and you know, me me and my friends, we talk about that a lot, that, like, tying it full circle to Mark Jacobs. I, I don't And I don't know if Mark Jacobs' real name is Mark Jacobs. It could, it could, it not, could be some other shit. It could no be cat. some other shit. But, <laughs> but at the end of the day, his kids, if their last name is Jacobs, they're entitled to whatever he's building. Whatever he's building. Okay. So like there's a there's a name there's a reason why Louis Vuitton is Louis Vuitton, that whole name not a piece of it uh-huh. not a bit of it, so like I understand what you mean where it's like you have to leave a lasting legacy that not only do your kids kids benefit, but the kid in you benefits, uh-huh. the kid who who's I wanna not give busy. I want to give the kid like me something that I didn't have that I wish I had. And it's like, I communicate with hundreds of kids. My audience, niggas get mad at me because my audience is majority kids. Like, I got niggas that hit me up like, oh, you got to stop doing kid shit. And you got to stop doing this and doing that. And I'm just in my head like, bro, at the end of the day, ain't nobody else doing shit for them. I'm, they coming to me because I'm the only one that they see genuinely gives a fuck about them. Yeah, I'm throwing parties and I'm charging $5, $10. Niggas telling me, yo, bro, you could charge 30 and make bread. Nigga, I know I could charge 30 and make bread. But who's going to show up? But who's going to show up? Nah, <laughs> niggas going to show up. They going to show up. They going to show up, but it's like you know what comes with them getting that $30 to show up opposed to the five. Mm-hmm. Because they may they may not even have the five and you like, yo, just come in. Plus, the average kid comes outside with $20 in their pocket. Let's talk about it. Yeah. 20 cash. $5 is that round trip <laughs> on the train. Another five is for weed to match weed on somebody. <laughs> yeah. And then that other ten either going to food or to a bottle. Yeah. That's how it go. And I'm like, and that's just that's speaking on the kids that don't work, you know, and gotta wait for their parents to get the money and shit like that, you know? So it's like I look at myself in every situation. Like when I make prices for parties, I tell myself I'm like, would I charge would I pay twenty dollars again this party? I'm like, fuck no. I'm like, right, I'm gonna charge ten. Straight. And then niggas get mad. And they like, yo, you should charge more. And I'm like, for what? And I was doing a lot of parties with people that was overcharging and using me for my crowd. And then I stopped. That's why I've been talking the way I've been talking lately. Because I started realizing who I was. Like, I was always afraid of being... I never wanted to come off cocky. I never wanted to come off, like, super, like... You know, like, you know how niggas that just be talking about themselves. I never wanted to come off as that person. But it's like, I realize I'm like, I'm dead that nigga. Like, I can't look past that. How does, how does, do you think the 15 year old you would be proud of the you that he sees now? Fuck yes. (laughs) All the way. (laughs) Like, nigga, you did it. 15 year old me is looking at me right now like. You told these niggas you was going to do it, and they didn't listen. <laughs> like, I told, I, I came, when I came back, I came back from Miami after my man's died, right? And I met with the dudes that I was in the team with. And that same night, Mike Dean was having a pop-up, right, on 15th Street and 10th Avenue. Free pop-up. 
open mic, letting people come do whatever they want. I told my mans, I'm like, yo, niggas is asking me, like, oh, do you still want to be shut down? Boys? I'm like, yo, my mans just died, bro. I'm not really trying to talk about that. I'm like, yo, Mike Dean having a pop-up. We need to go. Straight. I'm like, Heron, Heron's supposed to be there. I'm trying to throw a party with him, bro. I'm like, I'm trying to get us to throw a party with him. Shut down, boys. Niggas, nah, bro. I'm trying to go get some food. I'm like, I got out the car, bro. I said, yo, y'all niggas do y'all, bro. Straight. In that moment, you bet on yourself. Two years later, I threw a, not just a regular party, but a fashion week party with Heron Preston. For fashion week. At Milk Studios. Got the sponsor. Got the Bel-Air sponsor. Shout out to my son Bobby for plugging it in. Like, got the Bel-Air sponsor. Chopped it up. Heron connected me with Milk. Milk, I set it all up by myself, bro. I told Heron, Heron was like, yo, where do you want to do with that? I said, um, I have somebody in contact. I'm I'm in contact with somebody at Milk. I just don't know how much it costs. He straight up told me, oh, I know the owner. I'll put you in contact with him. Straight. Because what's supposed to happen happens. And it was like, it was lit. It was actually too lit. A nigga ended up getting crunched with a bottle. All right, LeVar, we caught it right here. <laughs> Yo, LeVar, thank you. Um, your story is amazing. Um, you can see the dramatic pauses because this is the first time I'm hearing it. Yeah. And um, this is the first time that, like, I'm glad that like we got to have this conversation. Um, LeVar, tell everybody where they can find you. Um, you can find me on all social media at Dick by Air. Yes, that is my name, D-I-C-K-B-Y-A-I-R. Um, I'm on Facebook as well as Dick, first name, last name, by air. Um, I'm on SoundCloud as Dick by air. Everywhere. One day we'll have LeVar back and we will tell the story of Fuck the Water, Give Her Henny. Oh, boy. We're going to keep that <laughs> for another episode. All right, that would be a good one. Because that is very legendary. Yo, LeVar, thank you for coming, man. Thank you for having me. Guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Once again, this is Live from the Stoop. I am Robbie Digital. Until next time.